Welcome to Good Life. I'm Dean Wilson. I'm so glad you're with us. Uh, we've just so enjoyed getting to know so many of you who are joining us from around the world at goodlifetelevision.org and other platforms. And, and a lot of you are finding us at our, at our podcast, Good Life Conversations, from like 35 countries. So wherever you are in the world, we're glad you're with us. And, uh, and we hope you'll continue to tune in. We, we've, we were just having a a string of incredible people. It's just when I feel like, how could it get any better than this? It seems to get better. And maybe that's the way life is. And, and I think that that's something that we can aspire to. Uh, but wherever you are, good life, we're here because we're talking about the good stuff. And we're talking about honor and excellence and nobility and overcomers. We're talking with entrepreneurs and people who are doing good work, public servants, people laying down their life. There's so much good to focus on. And, and it seems like so often these days that there's, there's just a lot of petty strife and negativity. So we're here to, to put some light to the situation. And so we're glad you're with us. Uh, I'm really excited about my guest today. Uh, Jonathan Catherman is with me. Uh, Jonathan, welcome. It's good to be here, Dean. It's great to see you. And Jonathan and his wife, Erica, have written a book. Jonathan's a best-selling author. Um, he, has, he has written a number of, of books. He is, uh, speaks into the lives of, of young people and to parents. And, and his, his, as I was reading about you, Jonathan, and we'll talk about our history together, but it's, it was, it's amazing to see what kind of has happened in your life. Uh, Jonathan is an award-winning cultural strategist, education trainer, specializing in the character and leadership development of youth. He speaks worldwide about these principles. He works with closely with his wife, Erica, who's, who's a world changer in her own right. And Erica co-wrote this book that I'm going to talk about in a second. But I wanted to start with Jonathan. Our families, I guess, went to uh, family camp together. I haven't seen you in, I think it's been maybe roughly 33 or 34 years. How have you been? <laughs> Do a quick catch up. <laughs> yeah, let's just catch up right here. Right. This is a good time right in front of everybody. It's all good. <laughs> right. It's amazing to think how my family used to drive down from Washington state to California and meet up at camp with your family and a few others. We look forward to it year after year. And you're right, it's been like 32 years since that was our last face-to-face, -face, you know, playing camp games and pranks and just having fun and seeing yeah. all the, the things that make camp great. It's been more than a minute, as that saying goes. Yeah, <laughs> a lot's happened in our lives. Um, yeah, I was thinking this morning about it. I was thinking, I remember, I was actually talking to my mom and I was telling, telling her that you were coming on and it blew her mind. And then I, and then, and I was thinking there was one year we were at Mount Hermon, which is the camp conference center in Santa Cruz mountains. We went to, we were, and like, we went to your house in Auburn, maybe. I think so. Yep. Up in Auburn. And then, yeah, I think that's when things shifted because we moved even further North than that. Up right. To Washington state to Seattle. Right. And, uh, and right. But yeah, you guys came and visited us when we were living in California and yeah, uh, yeah, man, that just that was a long time ago, Dean. Look at us; we look so good. For we're grown up, I know. Past. I feel like we're doing okay. We're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, 
Well, yeah, start with before we get into to the work and, and the book, but but start with kind of uh, your background, your upbringing, your family. Kind of tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Well, let's start with like now and then work back real quick. Currently, um, I am the father of two amazing sons and the husband to the most beautiful and remarkable woman on the face of the earth. Uh, we live in North Carolina. Uh, we are in and out of a variety of types of work and ministry. I'm a sociologist. Uh, my, that expertise takes me into speaking before every kind of group you can imagine, from church groups to elementary schools to Navy SEAL teams to professional athletes. It's pretty remarkable how God has crafted this person in 32 years since we saw you last. Working backwards, uh, we moved from North Carolina, or excuse me, we moved to North Carolina from Washington State. I was a student ministries pastor for uh, 10 years in Washington State. Uh, put my sociology into a different kind of push in helping grow young people in their faith. Um, prior to that, my wife and I met in high school, married in college, and uh, we did that was all in Seattle. So it's uh, you know, a lot of steps along the way, and those are kind of literally the, the high peaks, if you will, the, the, the details of, of every aspect of following God's path sometimes are clear and sometimes are only uh, seen in hindsight. So I'm yes. very pleased uh, that the Lord's brought us where we are now, and we enjoy what we do. We run a foundation, and we write books, and I do research and speak. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. At what point uh, kind of along your path did you start thinking about, you know, the, the, the development of young people and, and the and leadership development, or, or I don't know if you use that term, but, but at what point along the line did you kind of go, wow, this is something that I really want to pursue? Well, I was called by our student ministry pastor when I was in college to be his intern. And, and I called, I mean, called, I mean, he literally picked up the phone and called me and said, I think you should be my intern. And at the time I was um, building houses, Erica and I, my wife, Erica, we, we split college for a time. We were working and we were going to school together. We we're a little older. We got married. And then uh, one of us needed to continue and the other one needed to work and put the other one through school. So I was building houses in the Seattle during a boom and making more money than we know what to do with as a young 20 something year old couple. And again, our student ministries pastor called me and said, I think you need to quit your job and come work for me for $500 a month. And, and I, I told Erica about it. And I said, I think the man's crazy. And she goes, and you know, you're going to do it. And because you know, this is what you want. And more important, this is what God wants. And she was right. And wow. that was the time where I made a transition from being, you know, the volunteer youth leader that, that would teach the classes and, and, and do stuff to help to this was kind of the pursuit that God wanted. But at the same time, my passion for understanding in, in my studies of sociology as, we, as I went back to school, the cultural norm shift between the generations was just kind of coming about right as we led into you know, the year 2000. And it was becoming measurable and obvious. And I saw some, some big gaps along with a really phenomenal professor of mine. And we started doing some research and work together and it, it just sort of got the ball rolling. Or how do we help young people discover and become all God created them to be? And in some context, we call that leadership. Uh, mostly I call that stewardship because mm. I have a pretty strong belief that you have no business being a leader if you're not a good steward. 
Mm. And that stewardship should come before leadership. So what began back right around the year 2000, and, you know, what are we like that? 22 years later has become the full career. And, and it's, again, it spans from working with young people, very young, like, like little elementary kids helping them to, um, you know, mentoring uh, college students and, and new career. And it's, it's fun to see these young people just thriving where unfortunately so many are just sort of floundering and trying to survive. That's fantastic. I was, I was, uh, this morning I was watching a, a sermon from from the great Chuck Swindoll, who uh, was he he just gave a uh, gave a speech at Dallas Theological Seminary. I don't know when it was, but it looked I think it was pretty recent. But he was he was talking about mentorship. One of the things he was talking he was talking a lot about Paul and Timothy, but he was he was talking about the importance of mentoring, the importance of mentorship, and and the the um, critical nature of of uh, and importance of who you choose as mentors, but mentoring is is really important, isn't it? It is. In fact, we have a saying that kind of guides our foundation. So we have a foundation called the One M Mentoring Foundation, and it's our goal to provide mentoring resources for a million young people worldwide. But the the kind of the guiding context that we have is, is their greatness tomorrow begins with our guidance today and that's what mentorship is and it's it's that process of not not specific instruction and it's not the other end of the spectrum which is just counsel but it's like side by side guidance there's time for instruction certainly time for counsel but the majority of mentorship is is that stewardship of good guidance and allowing the uh, young person or the person that we're mentoring to give things a go and to have a safe space for them to come to that they can trust because trust is, is the, the cornerstone of mentorship. Mm. So it's, it's a privilege to be part of it. And, and uh, yeah, I would agree with uh, Dr. Swindoll that, that mentorship is critical. And uh, we, we say mentoring matters. That's what we say a lot of. Yeah. So the foundation is called 1M. 1M Mentoring Foundation. The 1M, 1M stands mentoring. for 1 million. Yep, that's our goal. Right. So you're going for a million. Oh, heck yeah. I love it. I love Worldwide. It. I love it. I love it. That's so great. The, the book is Raising Them Ready. I've got it here. Um, and Practical Ways to Prepare Your Kids for Life on Their Own. And I, I, I haven't got to read every page, but I've, I've looked at a lot of it and, uh, and it really is fantastic. And, and so I congrats on the book. I know literally this just came out. So if you're, if you're looking for uh, a gift for young parents or you are a young parent or you're a parent that has kids that are getting into the um, early or mid or late, whatever stage of parenting, I, I learned a lot from this. I wish I'd have had this actually 20 years ago, but, uh, but whatever stage you're at, if you're looking for a gift or something, I would, I would commend this to you. And because I, as you've heard, I've known Jonathan for 35, 40 years, something like that. Uh, but the, the, this is a, this is a great resource, but, but um, give us the kind of the, the cliff notes version, why you wrote this and why somebody would want to read it. Well, the why we wrote it is this is the ninth book that we've written. And in a way, it should have been the first book, but we had no business it for being the first book because we needed to go through all the other stages of raising our own kids. 
and uh, before we could get to this. So we have two adulting age sons. One is 18 and the other is 21. And a few years ago, my wife and I uh, are, were talking about have we covered the bases as our boys are getting ready to depart, as they're getting ready to fly the nest. People ask us all the time, do you actually practice what you teach? Do you practice what you write about? So like manual to manhood and the middle school books and, and the guiding the next rate gen content. And so we say, yeah, we do. But we actually sat down and put together a launch list for our sons. Uh, what are the skills and tools they need to succeed when they leave our home? And we realized we'd missed a few. <laughs> so we had some catching up to do. Um, and we got to talking to some friends about it and, and some colleagues. And I spoke about it at a few locations. And people kept coming to us and saying, hey, can you share that list with us? We need that list. And, and we said, you know, we think we have uh, another book here. And so we actually launched this as the center of the book. On the book ends, no pun intended, but to begin the book and end the book, we have some amazing resources for parents um, that includes a readiness assessment, which is a way to very easily do just a, a mental check of, as a parent of, is my child ready or not for the demands of life that are coming their way at any stage between two and 22 years old? And then we go through a, a launch list where we talk about what are the over 300 skill sets and tool sets they need to master before leaving home. And then we give parents a release plan at the end of the book, which is how to let your kids go a little at a time over time, rather than just looking at that benchmark of the 18th birthday or when they go to college or when they get their first apartment as they're let go. But how do we actually start letting go of our kids? This is gonna sound weird to some people. In a cycle, starting at age two, which is a weird thing to say, but there's a point where you can't hold on to your kids anymore. And how do we give them instruction and release, guidance to release and counsel and release and cycle through that, through the multiple stages of their development? Wow, that's great. Yeah, I love the, the, the ready, set, go. And I want to get to that. You know, I really think, you know, as I was, as I was looking at this, I mean, and, and just so people know, you know, th this is um, this is boots on the ground kind of stuff. I mean, this is a it's very practical. I mean, you're talking about um, you know how to leave a voicemail. Like, I mean, you're you're, you're getting into like the nitty gritty yeah. about which you know I I just think it's so powerful. I mean, this, not not that there's anything wrong with with kind of you know kind of large scale or 10,000 feet up kind of inspirational mentoring or, you know, talking about the, the big picture stuff in life, which I think is certainly that's important, but you're getting really into the weeds in terms of, you know, what does somebody need to know? And, and, and I just, as I was looking at it, I just kept thinking, man, what a gift this is, you know, what a gift that if, if somebody, you know, I'm thinking about specific people that I, in, in my life that are kind of at a younger stage of parenting than I am. And just, man, you know, for somebody to give, to, to give your kids the, the stuff that is talked about in this book is, is, is a gift. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it is a gift. It's also, it's a gift to the kids. It's a gift to your parent, to the parent too. Yeah, right. I know as a parent, I want my children to have, and how's that saying go? I want my kids to have what kind of life compared to mine? It's I want them to have a 
better life than mine. Yeah. And and I've lived a pretty darn good life. Yeah. And and it's it's no parent says I want their kids to have almost a good life as mine. You know, that would be a horrible parent. Right. Unfortunately, the way that we are structuring much of our parenting styles today, we're setting a lot of young people up for a uh, a stumbling into success if possible. They aren't they aren't tracking in that direction because um, those who can be stewards of little can learn to be stewards of much, right? That's right out of scripture. And we, right. the world is expecting much of them and we have great expectations of them as parents, yet many are not giving them the little aspects of stewardship. Like you said, leaving a voicemail. Um, I get voicemails from young people on the regular that are horrible. You know, no name, <laughs> no phone number. Right. You know, they're asking something of me and, and yet I don't know the clue if, unless I have voice recognition as to who's making the phone call. Right. Um, right. You know, that, 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 and, and anybody who's a, an employer is realizing you know, a lot of young people coming into the workplace are, are struggling with some of these basic tasks. But we could track it even further down. And, and we joke about this. You know, if you have a teenager in your house, you know, the toilet paper roll is a regular problem in the bathroom. You know, just the empty toilet paper roll. You know, somebody screaming from the other bathroom, somebody bring me toilet paper. Well, it's a laugh. It has nothing to do with career preparedness. Yet, there's no reason why a five-year-old can't change a toilet paper roll. Right. These are skills we learn young. And now it's just about, oh, do I remember it? Or doing laundry as we get older or helping take care of pets or make our own beds or, or I mean, the list is extensive and right. broken down into specific stages. We don't tell you how to tell your kids how to make their bed. We do give you the significance of why it's important that a child at a young age learns how to manage their own space in their room. And th this is the way that kids gain respect and avoid embarrassment in little ways now. So as they grow up and, and step out into more important demands and bigger demands in life, they've had practice and they need that practice. Practice makes better, doesn't make perfect. Better to practice at home than try to learn out in the world. Yeah, genius. And I just think that that affects a, a young person's confidence you know i know how to do that i know yeah. how to do that i was taught how to do that like it lessens the surprises you know there's plenty of surprises in life but you can take the number of surprises down where some where a young person's caught off guard like well you know i don't know anything about this or i don't know how to that seems like a, a wonderful gift i want to ask you one of the things you talked about in here why is it important jonathan to allow children to fail right okay so here's the funny thing about failure for some reason in our current culture we deem not winning as failing right if you didn't get like the top podium spot then it's it's a fail it's not a fail and, and, and i'll even look at some parents will get on their kids for grades that aren't an a and anything less than an a or a high b is failing it's not failing but, but important to let our kids struggle, to let our kids fail. That's how we, we phrase it in the book. It's okay to let your kids fail, basically to not be the first, second, or third place in the, in the lineup because it builds resilience in your child. The truth of the matter is when they face the demands of life throughout life, they're not always going to get a trophy. It's that simple. Not every day is one of those wins we chalk up to and post on, on Facebook and Instagram and, and brag about. And yet we've set our kids up for a life where everything is measured on a level of high success. And we expect them to succeed every single day. 
And the truth of the matter is, especially if you've ever had a 13-year-old in your home, that's not reality. Right. Those days are struggles. We've got to let them struggle. And I don't mean struggle as in like to the point of pain where they're hurt, they're, they're hurt physically, emotionally, or spiritually. But it's okay to press forward and for things to be difficult. Anybody who's in an analogy would be anybody who's ever done any type of physical activity, like in a sport or they've, they've practiced an instrument, they know that they don't get every note right the first time they strum the guitar or play the violin or, or, or tune a flute. They certainly uh, don't score a goal and win the race or hit a home run every time they step up to the plate, hear the starting gun or, or attempt a great feat. You've got to build up to that. And it's a struggle to do so. So parents, let your kids struggle a bit. That's how they build themselves, body, mind, heart, and spirit. And that's how they build the resilience they're going to need to live as an adult in our real world today. Yeah, that's, that's well said. In, in the book, you talk about that there is a secret to parenting. There's an ingredient uh, within the environment that enables some kids to, to you know, outperform or, or whatever. Um, talk about that and kind of why that's important. Yeah. Okay. The secret ingredient is you as a parent. And, and we used to, you know, we, is it nature? Is it nurture? And the truth of the matter is we used to say it was nature and it's not, it's nurture because in any environment you're raising your kid, how we care for that child is what brings in the greatest resolve, the greatest result. So in the nurturing effect of, of caring for our kids, the parenting style is what really matters. So the secret ingredient is a nurturing parent who has a parenting style that you got to pay real close attention to this and how I say it. It's called authoritative, not authoritarian, not to confuse them, authoritarian parent. Okay, so just to clarify, there's four parenting styles. And let me start out on the, on, the, on the easy end of the spectrum to understand. There's the indifferent parent who just doesn't care. Fine, do whatever you're going to do because you're probably going to do it anyway, says the parent to their kid. Then there's the indulgent parent who lets their kid do whatever they want, but indulges them in the process. Oh, sure, honey, we'll do that. Let's do that. No problem. You know, that child is always coddled and cared for, spoiled. And that, that's the helicopter parenting often fits into that category. Then there's the authoritarian parent. And that's the parent says, you're going to do it because I said so. Because that's how I did when I grew up. And this is what's best for you. And I know it's best for you. You don't know it's best for you. You're not old enough to know it's best for you. You don't have enough life experience. Come talk to me again in 10 years. You're going to do it this way. Okay, so under my roof, these are my rules. That's an authoritarian parent. But an authoritative parent, they say, look, I have very high expectations of you, but I'm going to respond to each of my kids individually based on the needs of that child. You know, most homes have more than one child in it. And any home that has more than one child in it recognizes they may have come from the same womb and they may have even shared the same room at one point, but those are two different kids. Very unique, very different. And as a family that has high expectations of our children, the demands are high. So demand can be a positive thing. But we also, we as parents are looking how do we nurture those kids uniquely to each individual child. I don't spoil them. I know you can do it. And here's why. Let me tell you, let me show you. So that authoritative parent is the key to success for your kids growing up. Yeah, I, th I thought I thought that, that's excellent. I thought that was very interesting uh, in terms of the nature versus nurture. Um, 
component you you touched on that but uh, that that seems like that's been a debate that's been having happening a long time but but talk a little about kind of the clarity that you've gotten around that particular subject well nature versus nurture like like we could say um nature would be the environment that we grow up in right so it could it, it really doesn't matter if you are a one percenter kid or if you are growing up in the projects and this is life is hard that would consider the area you're being you know the nature you're being brought up in the nurture is how do we care for ourselves how do we care for others and so the parent who is nurturing I, I absolutely know and recognize that, that affluency allows for environments that are can benefit a child. Like example would be if you have a child who has a, um, like me, has dyslexia, you can go get tutors and you can afford tutors and you can afford time to help that child uh, learn how to manage their learning differences. Or you have access to more elite sports teams or you have access to, to people who have, you know, it's not always what you know, but who you know, you know, so I can, I will acknowledge that at the same time, the data is very clear. We have kids who are growing up in that environment who still turn, grow into adults who are lacking because the nurture was lacking. And, and so the nurture aspect is what is the primary factor that leads to a child's success. It's still unfortunate. We could say, you know, when we hear these kids that go from the, the rags to riches effect, if you will, or brought themselves up out of poverty, I can, I can almost guarantee you there is a person in their life who nurtured them in ways that they needed, that they could see their measure of success was on the horizon. They just needed to keep moving in that direction versus the kid who has every resource at their, at their grasp, right at their fingertips. But, but there's no drive because they don't have to, because there's no nurture. So the ideal place would be to have high nature and high nurture. But the tipping point is nurture, hands down, the argument's over, and it's not my opinion, the research is out, and we just know that now we need to guide parents on how to be that type of a, a nurturing parent. Once again, this is Jonathan Catherine. We only have a minute or two left. The book is uh, Raising Them Ready practical ways to prepare your kids for life on their own. Jonathan and Erica Katherman, kind of world-changing people, the, the kind of wonderful people we get to meet here on Good Life. But, you know, th there is nothing more important, is there, Jonathan, than the next generation? I mean, if you, I think sometimes because of the, we can get into the the rat race of all the things we have to do as, as, as people. And, you know, we've got a seven point plan for everything that we're doing at work or you know whatever um but maybe maybe we don't spend that same time and i'm uh, i've certainly failed at times in this as well where we're not spending the same amount of time we would think about planning for to make money or to advance our career or whatever we don't spend that same amount of time making a plan for our parenting yeah. I mean, you know, this is a, I mean, monumental responsibility <laughs> that we have as parents. And so, I mean, I just love the, 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 you know, this level of attention to detail, this level of, of thought, because we need to spend time thinking about how we're going to do that. 
you know, there's a point in the book where we say there's only a certain measure of weekends you have left with your children. Yeah. 936 is start, if, you know, generally speaking. Well, how old is your child? How many weekends do you have left? Because you cannot, no matter how much money you have and how much success or how much power you have, you cannot buy back a weekend. And I believe, as I'm hearing you say the same, and I've broken it down into a statement, I believe the next generation, the emerging generation has more potential to do good in our world than any generation before. They have excess access to resources, to information, their voice is louder. There's more voices. Now we've got to learn to teach them how to channel that. But their potential to, to change and to, to influence, to share, to, to, to prosper, not just not talking about financially, but how to prosper as people, it's unmeasurable. And it's exciting to me. And I know every, every you know, I hear people all the time kind of harking on young people. If you look back over history, every generation, every older generation thinks the next generation is completely lost. <laughs> So when I hear that argument today, I say, you know, you're in an echo chamber of just saying the thing that your grandpa said about you. So how right. about stop repeating the cycle and let's do something to help these young people discover and become all God created them to be? Because we can do that. We will be proud, not just of them, but also I believe they'll be part of the well done, my good and faithful servant when we get to heaven. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a huge opportunity. I love your optimism. I love your, it's not just optimism. I love, love the hope. I mean, we, we need hope and in the world. We need speak people like you who are, who are speaking good things, you know, hope as uh, somebody defined hope uh, as, you know, the, the expectation of good, you know, believing and, 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 um, and I think as we look, as we think about the next generation, as we talk to the next generation, as we impart, you know, I, I love your hopeful message. Uh, it's, it's really making a difference. And, and so Jonathan, thank you for sharing it with us. Well, thank you for inviting me to share. It's, it's anybody can be part of it. So don't hesitate. Yes. What is the website for the foundation? Sure. The foundation is 1mmentoring.com, excuse me, .org. The number one, the letter M, mentoring.com and or, and or .org, both of them. And you can also find us at thecathermans.com. The, the Cathermans with the C. C-A-T-H-E-R-M-A-N-S.com. Thecathermans.com or just Google Jonathan Catherman. It's not hard to find. Fantastic. And once again, uh, we encourage you to check out this book. Um, and we, and, and, and yeah, we trust that you'll, uh, be blessed by that. Jonathan, let's try to keep it from being 32 years be, before we see each other again. I think, I think I need to plan <laughs> <in> California. <laughs> That'd be a good goal. Say, give the best to your family. And thanks for joining us. Thank you. And you, you too. Thanks for having me. We'll see y'all next time. I said y'all. My Texas, my Texas came the out. The Southern in me came out. <laughs>